Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Tanya Kraljic, UX Manager and Principal Designer at Nuance Communications. We talk about the challenges of designing voice interfaces, including the voice tools ecosystem. Enjoy the show. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start off with you talking a little bit about you and how you arrived at Nuance. Sure. Um, So my background is in cognitive psychology. I did some graduate work in cognitive psychology, and my focus was on the psychology of language use. Hmm. So in particular, um, interactive spoken dialogue, how people adapt their speaking and their understanding to their partners, whether those partners are human or computer. Um, and what sorts of expectations they bring to those interactions. Um, so how that influences what they say and how they say it. Um, so I, I did, I, you know, I did research for a while in gra- graduate school and beyond, but I always knew I wanted to actually build things. Um, so work with products, sort of take things through completion. So, um, in, you know, research in academia is pretty, it's a pretty, um, solitary effort mm-hmm. <laughs> often. Right. Um, and it takes a long time to get things done. So after a while, I, you know, I was looking for jobs in industry and Nuance is just this really interesting company that hires actually a lot of PhDs from a lot of different backgrounds because, you know, it's been, it's a speech technology company that's been around for a long time and where speech technology isn't really something that has, you know, it's not really taught in schools. Um, so people who come to this field come to it from all different backgrounds. So I was, you know, Lucky to get a job here um, at Nuance, designing speech technologies for for the future, <laughs> um, and it's and it's been really fun just sort of um, seeing that this area grow and watching it sort of become pervasive uh, where it wasn't even you know five years ago when I started. So right, right, that was actually my next question. So you've been there about five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe six. Okay. So, and your your title is UX Manager and Principal Designer for Mobile Product Strategy. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, can you talk a little bit about, because um, it feels like Nuance has been at this long before anybody, I mean, as you said, it's it's starting to catch on and people are like, oh, voice is the next, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how is, how is the design team set up and how is design approached at Nuance? Good question. So I think we're seeing a renewed emphasis on design at Nuance, actually, um, much like in the technology industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. So we've, you know, we've always had great engineers who are building sort of this very complex, um, sort of very cutting edge technology. Um, and now we're augmenting that with a human centered approach to product strategy and development. Um, which I think we're already seeing is sort of accelerating innovation in our own company and um, hopefully will you know, also help create better and, and more usable solutions as voice becomes available in all these different technologies. The design team that I work on, it's a pretty small design team, um, but we work very, and we work very tightly together. So it's um, speech design, GUI design, so visual designers, UX design, speech, speech and UX are sort of um, the same. The same thing. They're very similar, whether they're applied to GUI or or voice design. Um, and UX research and product strategy, we all sort of work very closely together. Wow. Okay. And for those of uh, folks listening that don't necessarily know 
much about nuance. What kind of what kind of product are you talking about? So until recently, well, nu- nuance our technology is really built on um, solutions for call center automation. That's where our, a lot of our speech technology was built. So we still have a lot of those solutions. Our mobile division is focused on platforms um, that you can sort of integrate with um, a whole host of different applications, whether those applications are things like smart TVs or mobile applications or, you know, robotics or smart homes or things mm. like that. Um, and actually, we, we our team has been working very hard this past year toward a new platform, a mobile developer platform called Mix and um, an accompanying uh, development tool called Mix NLU that it enables third-party developers, um, everyone working from startups to large companies, um, to use our speech algorithms, basically, to create their own custom language models that they can then integrate into their own applications. So that actually just got announced in the press today, so I can tell you about it now. (laughs) (laughs) Good timing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's exciting. I mean, that's a big piece of it, right? I mean, A, understanding how voice user interfaces are different from from GUIs, but also the tools. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, the tools ecosystem and and what that looks like at this stage? Sure. So, you know, for our design tools, when we do UX or GUI design, we use the... um, you know, we use the, the sort of industry standards, Adobe Creative Suite, um, Illustrator, Photoshop. Um, but for the voice design part, we've been using um, tools that we've built in-house that, you know, haven't been available um, to anyone else. So we've been using our own text-to-speech generator tools. Um, we've been using our own natural language understanding um, model building tools. We've been using our own dialogue hmm. uh, management tools. Um, so we've just been building those and using them in-house. And now we're working toward making um, those tools and the platforms that they that they run on um, available to the public. So like I said, the first one is in beta now, um, available now in beta. People can sign up for access if they want. Um, and we'll be, you know, just continuing to expand that ecosystem next year to give more control over the text to speech systems. Right now, you sort of have to, um, you have to contract with a company and get those things out of the box, right? But, um, but we want to use the, make these tools available to people so that they can create their own custom, um, models and have their own sound and feel and understanding capabilities. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about your team and, and uh, how tight you work together with your team. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what, a, and there might not be a typical day, but a, what a typical day might look like? And I'm, I'm particularly interested in hearing how you work across teams outside of design if you do. Uh, sure. Yeah. So like you said, you know, <laughs> there isn't really a typical day. It sort of <laughs> depends what we're working on. Um you know, with this tool, we've been we've been very fortunate to be able to have uh, a few different alpha releases over the past year, where we worked very closely with engineering to organize what would be in those alpha releases, the requirements that would um, that would go into each one, so that we could do user research for each one. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so with each iteration, we learned a little bit more about where the pain points are, where the opportunities are, where people are finding challenges, because 
these are, you know, like I said, we've been using some of these um, tools and we understand the principles behind them, but we're making them available now to anyone, you know, including obviously a lot of people who don't have any background in speech. So user research is a big part of what we've been doing. It's one of my favorite parts. So um, on any given day, you know, we might be observing people using our, um, our product or we might be um, working with product management to define requirements around that or with engineering to define priorities and feasibility and sort of find workarounds for things when, um, you know, when what we've designed is, is maybe not, you know, going to lead to the best implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, we flat, you know, we do full wires and sketches um, and communicate those to engineers. We try to prototype as much as possible we contribute to marketing, so we work with marketing to help with videos, help with um, you know communication with the press, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So it really just you know, like I said, there's really no typical day. We sort of do all of those things, and all of us means the design team and um, the engineering team and the product management team. We're just in constant communication. We mm-hmm. have uh, hip chat, like we're constantly IMing each other, um, or just kind of popping into each other's offices or calling each other just to make sure that we stay on the same page all the time. Right, right. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you think the approach to designing for voice or speech is such a difficult leap for designers? Uh, Yeah, I think think there's probably sort of two main reasons for that. Um, The first is just practically, I think, because it's not something that's been available you know it's a new field Mm -hmm. really um i think people just aren't sure where to start like Mm -hmm. what's the technology really you know so you want to voice enable something what does that even mean (laughs) um in terms of what technology you need or um uh, what infrastructure you need or where you should begin designing. You know, mm-hmm. what do you start with? Do you start with the GUI? Do you start with the VUI? Do you, where do you go to get those tools? So I think the first, you know, challenge is really just a very practical one. Um, and then the other part is, you know, the actual design process. Um, there's a lot of principles of interaction design that apply to voice as well. Mm-hmm. But designing for voice or speech is really all about helping users like it's it's all about filling in the blanks for users in a sense so when you when you design for say a mobile application uh, the GUI for a mobile application you can be very deterministic you know you decide what functionality you're going to um, enable and that functionality is it's easy to communicate that to users in a sense because you put buttons and labels on the screen and if there isn't you know if there isn't a path for something or a button for something, then it's not available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you might put something there but have it disabled, right? So a user goes in there and it's pretty clear what they can and can't do. But when you design for natural language, you're sort of flipping that script, mm. right? So you're now, you know what your speech enabling and what your functionality is, but users have to discover that in some way. So just because you don't have a button for something on the screen, now that it's voice, now that your app is voice enabled, there's no way to prevent users from asking for that. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, you have to, in order to make a successful voice application, you have to sort of over design mm-hmm. um, 
and overdevelop a little bit in order to make it feel effortless and simple for the user. And I think that is a little bit of a leap, like just wrapping your brain around the fact that you're still designing and developing for what you want, but now you have to figure out how to communicate that to users so it's not playing a game of, um, like my my boss always says, what's in my pocket, right? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Be anything. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, it's um, as you said, it's, it's shifting mindset. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I mean, for, for the folks that are listening that are interested in, in voice enabling something in the future, mm-hmm. um, you know, what advice do you have for them? I mean, where to start is a really, is a really big one. But how would you suggest they go about learning about creating voice interactions? So I think the biggest challenge that I see people facing when they when they want to create voice interactions is the fact that no one realizes how hard it is to get those interactions right. Everybody, you know, everybody can talk and have conversations, so it's one of those things that feels intuitive, mm-hmm. but when you sit down and do it, it's actually, you know, really difficult. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that, you know, there's always as part of the product development process, there's always points at which you have to make compromises because of business requirements or scheduling constraints or technical feasibility, right? That's just part of the process. I think there's three things that you have to always be checking in about and that you have to make sure your compromises aren't negatively affecting, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing is that you always have to ask yourself whether you're getting the feedback right. So are people going to know when that whatever your voice enabling, when it's listening and when it's processing and when it's responding. Um, because if you don't get that right, right out of the box, users are going to try to use your, you know, voice capability. They're not going to know if the thing is hearing them. Mm-hmm. They're going to stutter. They're going to restart. You're going to get incomplete audio on your side, which is going to make the whole thing, you know, sort of fail, right? And the experience to the user is going to be this thing doesn't work. So that just right out of the gate. And that's often a, a difficult thing to get right. And it's also difficult technically because a lot of times it involves animations and timing and, you know, getting that feedback right uh, mm. is takes a long time to design and implement. So right from the beginning, I think that's one of the critical things you want to make sure, you know, e- even if you're compromising on it, you still want to make sure you're doing something that's effective, right? Even if it's not as great as you know, you want it to be, but it has to, it has to work. It can't, you can't compromise by leaving it out, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, The second is that you need to ask yourself whether you're, whether you're giving users enough information to understand the boundaries of what's possible. So when you're deciding what features to voice enable, it's important that they hang together in some way that's easy for people to understand or to remember, right? You, you can't sort of voice enable this feature and then this unrelated feature and then leave out everything in between because users aren't going to be able to figure that out unless you give them a way to figure it out, right? But Mm -hmm. but for the most part, that's not going to be intuitive to users. So it's very important that you, when you're, you know, deciding where to cut functionality or where to scope things, that you think about how things are going to hang together from a user's perspective. They're going to be able to understand the decisions that you've made so that they can you know, successfully figure out what this thing is going to be able to to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third case is, you know, do you have intelligent handling for when people say something that isn't understood um, or something that's reasonable for them to ask about, but it's just not available in your app yet? Because that kind of thing is going to happen all the time. And if, you know, if you just 
if the whole system just kind of breaks at those points or doesn't give a response that at least feels, you know, understandable to users, then again, the experience is going to be this just doesn't work um, and I can't use it. So I think the advice that I would have is that you need to, you know, have a seat at the table in order to make sure the compromises that you as a team are making don't negatively impact those three areas, the feedback, the intelligent handling for when people say things unexpected, and the fact that the boundaries or the use cases that you're speech enabling kind of need to hang together in some, you know, clear way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's a whole different level of planning and thinking. It, Mm -hmm. It feels like the way you're describing it. And I wanted to talk a little bit about you're speaking, um, you're actually giving a workshop at at the O'Reilly Design Conference. I imagine you'll be covering some of this, um, what what you've just described, but can you share with folks a little bit about what other things you plan to cover and what you're hoping the students or attendees are going to get out of it? Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like you said, I'll talk through some of the main decision points that you know, that come up when you're trying to voice enable a mobile interface really applies to any interface you're voice enabling. So I'll go through the steps of voice enabling with an emphasis on what decisions need to be made and what challenges sort of come up at every step and and what opportunities come up as well. And then I'll also talk in more detail about how to design and build the underlying language understanding model, which is really the thing that is going to power the conversation. So I'll bring in, I'll go through some of the, some of the tools that exist out there, including our own, our own tool, but just so that, you know, they all sort of follow the same, um, or similar principles. Um, so I'll kind of go through that and how those fit into the process and what things to think about. Um, so hopefully when users come away, they'll come away with, you know, that obstacle of not knowing where to start will have been taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and they'll sort of know how to plan for what they what they need to do. Great. So this is the time of year for predictions, um, <laughs> as we're seeing all over the place. So my question for you is, do you think 2016 will be the year of voice? Um, I do think that we're seeing, you know, like we talked about earlier, we're seeing this fascinating shift towards these tools that allow people to fully customize, you know, fully customize um, language models. And I think with that is going to come a lot of growth and also um, some growing pains as people learn, you know, not only how to use the tools, but also what it means to do good voice design and to, and, and to, and to build intelligence into their, um, into their application. So I would say that 2016 is going to be a huge year for growth in voice design. Um, I think the next two years are going to be, um, are going to be fascinating to see, you know, now that there's, you know, once you open up APIs and things like that, you're just opening the door for, for so much innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what, what things people come up with. That's a good point. It's opening up the tools um, to get people to be able to, to experiment. Um, yep. So beyond your own work, I'd love to hear what people or projects um, are grabbing your attention these days. Yeah. So actually, um, you know, a lot of my inspiration and my interests lie outside of traditional software design avenues, I guess. You know, I love storytelling. I love physical um, sort of crafting, you know, just getting in there and building things. So, and I, I'm a big believer, maybe not surprisingly that, you know, I work in voice design, that I'm a big believer that we can create, you know, a better world, not, not just better products, but just a more empathetic world by communicating more effectively. But um, but that's really hard to do. So 
so storytelling and the art of good storytelling interests me. And and there's the obvious, like, you know, Andrew Stanton at Pixar, who's a big storytelling um, person who I follow. But um, there's so much low tech, interesting stuff out there, too. So, you know, there are these um, story slam groups like First Person Arts in Philadelphia or The Moth in New York that, you know, I go to as often as I can. I follow online. Um, the Humans of New York project interests me for the same mm-hmm. um, reason. You know, it's a it's just a constant reminder that something doesn't have to be very sophisticated or high tech to engage people really deeply and grab them and to fill a need that they may not even have known they had. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are people who are able to successfully sort of take cognitive science and behavioral research and make it accessible and relevant to design. So they're, you know, advocates for clearer and more efficient science communication, like, you know, Don Norman or Nireal, um, Susan Weinshank, who, mm-hmm. both of whom are, um, you know, bloggers that I follow. Um, I love the Ideo Labs blog because um, that also has this storytelling element and it has this intersection of digital and physical, you know, high and low tech mm-hmm. design solutions to um, really interesting problems or challenges out there. That's so. fantastic. Those are interesting angles. I all, I'm always curious to hear where people gain their their inspiration from. Yeah. And I, I love it when it's outside of outside of the sphere of what you do day to day. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Tanya, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You can reach Tanya through her Twitter handle at t Kraljek. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode.